0: Today we're reading two scriptures, and um, one is from the book of Isaiah, and the other is is just one verse from the book of John. Hear this Isaiah 40 passage. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall be, and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then from the Gospel of John, chapter fourteen, verses twenty-seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. So a few minutes ago, we we let lit the candle of peace and. And it's shining as bright and right there with a candle of hope. And I think hope and peace kind of mingle together. And today's sermon will have those two themes threaded through it. But as we begin, I wonder what peace means to you. And I ask that because sometimes peace is hard to find when chaos reigns around us when darkness reigns around us when when frustration when all of those motions reign around us it's hard to find peace and so i wonder for you what is peace is it the lack of those things it's the, on the so if we have all those things over here on this side is that where we find peace i wonder what that means or is it's peace simply the the absence of conflict is that peace and I ask that because in our homes these days in our in our in our communities and our nation in our world conflict rages in so many ways and I would venture to say that a lot of times conflict rages within us within individuals as well and sometimes our expectation is that conflicts will lead to peace but sometimes that's not the ultimate goal sometimes when there's conflicts, I'm thinking particularly national conflicts maybe like the war in Ukraine, we could name several things there um, they are waged only for monetary or political power, and sometimes those conflicts, when they end, bring about chaos and tragedy, and don't seem to have any redeeming qualities at all. So I wonder, as we're looking at this idea of peace, is it is it conflict over here and peace over here, and are we expecting? the conflict to go away and then we get our peace. Is that what our expectation is? It would be nice. I'll be honest. I would like all the things that frustrate me in this world to be gone and then I can just embrace my peace, but you know what? My experience isn't that at all. My experience is that conflict happens pain happens, discomfort happens, all of those things happen, those things that stress us out. I have to kind of chuckle because I went to my acupuncturist and I have some little uh, jewels over here that I'm supposed to press on when I'm stressed. I'm thinking I may be pressing them into my head, I'm not sure. Stress happens, conflict happens, frustration happens, and if we're waiting for all that to go away before we can claim our peace, We might be waiting a very long time. So I wonder about that. And I wonder about that because this is something I believe in the very bottom of my heart. I believe that peace is not simply the absence of that conflict, that frustration, that stress, you know, all those things we named before. I don't think that peace is the absence of that. I think it's bigger than that. I think it's more than that. Last year, when we were talking about the fruit of the spirit, now some of you were here with me, and we were talking about that. We talked when we talked about peace. We talked about something um, about the Hebrew word for peace, which shalom, and it's a word that we hear often in our world, especially in the Christian world, we hear about shalom, and if you were Jewish, you would hear shalom all the time. Um, But what we know about shalom is that it's about wholeness, it's about healing, it's about redemption, and all of those things together make up peace. So if shalom is peace, it would go... It would logically say that all of those things, healing, wholeness, all of those things are peace. Now, granted, peace is not easy to find unless you're looking for it. So shalom, or peace, is is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of healing and growth. During Advent, we have an opportunity. Well, maybe opportunity might paint the picture a little different than I want to. How about this? What if I say that in Advent, we have a choice? We have a choice. Advent is a time of waiting. A time when we acknowledge the darkness and the not yet nature of of God. The not yet. We're waiting for, for the Christ child to be born. We're waiting... And we're waiting. And the Christ child didn't come into the world the way the world thought the Christ child would come into the world. Here's a babe born in a manger to parents who are young, who are not at home. And this is the Christ child. So I don't think it's having everything perfect. I don't think it's that. We wait, though, in hope and expectation, looking for light that shines in unexpected places. We look for God coming into the world to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward all humans. That's what we kind of have out there. You know, we we sing about that. We sing about that. And as we look at today's scripture, the first one, there are some things that we can notice. Isaiah said that there was a voice crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. Get ready, the Lord is coming. That means you need to change. I don't know how you can prepare for something without change being a part of it. But I also know how we all kind of feel about things that change. We don't usually eagerly jump into change as human beings. Often we're, we're drug into change, um, kicking and screaming and dragging our feet. But in Isaiah's words, Isaiah talks about straightening out the path we're doing things right. Maybe maybe in today's words it would be get your act together. Making the rough ground level and the rugged places smooth is like telling you to straighten up and fly right. I remember hearing that from my mom growing up. That whole thing is to turn around and to prepare to change to be The words of Isaiah's prophecy were directed to those who were going to be carried off in the Babylonian exile. The conquering army was coming, and Isaiah said it was because of their disobedience. Now, I need to do a disclaimer here. Because what it says in there is that because of their disobedience... Isaiah says that God's glory left them and so my disclaimer is this. Because when I hear that their disobedience made the glory of God leave them, that's counter to everything I believe about God, it really is. Um, Maybe though in that culture that's how they saw it. Because, see, what I think is when things, even when we are disobedient to what God calls us to do, when things are rough and hard, God never leaves us. Jesus said, what? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I don't think that this is about God leaving God's people. I think it's more that God's people quit seeing God's presence. And I think sometimes in our busyness, the the way we go through our world, we do the same thing. We forget to look for God's presence in the things that we're going through. We forget to see God's presence in the darkness that's around us. We forget to see God's presence even when we screw up. And we screw up. We do. We make mistakes. We do things wrong. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It means that we've taken our eyes off the one who brings the peace. That's what it means. At least that's the gospel according to Sherry. Something to think about when we hear words about God's glory leaving them. Maybe their eyes were shut. But there were other times mentioned in the Bible when, um, when they didn't see the glory of God. In, their, in Israel's history, um, before they were ruled by kings, 1 Samuel 4 speaks of a battle with the Philistines in which the Israelites were defeated and the Ark of the Covenant was captured. Um, the ark had been really important to them in, their, in the time of the exodus out of Egypt, the time in the, in the wilderness, and um, it represented God's presence to God's people, and it was in their hands of their enemies, and they could not see God. At least they thought they couldn't. When you continue through that story, you can see God's presence, but at that time, that's what they thought. When Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquered the kingdom of Judah, were told that God's glory left the people again for a time. I think they took their eyes off again for a time. Ezekiel was a prophet to the exiles. Um, he had a, a vision for the people. You know, one of my favorite stories is is the times that Ezekiel's telling them that they're not dead. If you go through that, that story, you're seeing that over and over again. Ezekiel is telling them they're not dead. So then we can go through these stories where where God's presence isn't right in front of them. In this part of Isaiah, though. Isaiah is reminding us of the faithfulness of God in spite of the faithlessness of God's people. The voice crying in the wilderness tells the people to prepare the way of the Lord because the glory of the Lord will be revealed and humankind together will see it. And that brings us to Advent and the Christmas stories. How about the story of the shepherds? What did they see? They saw the glory of the Lord when Jesus was born and it shook them up. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. It was something new. And in the infant Jesus lying in that manger, they saw God's glory in human flesh John chapter 1 talks about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus at the time of his transfiguration was displayed when his clothes became dazzling white. Um, In Luke 9, as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts and give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that comes from uh, 2 Corinthians 4. Advent, like the Isaiah text, calls us to prepare. So, how shall we prepare? I've been adding some things to our sanctuary when I get here on Sunday morning and it's been so much fun. I put up the little tree today but realized I I can't find my my little star that went on top so we'll have to do something else. We're preparing. But this text in Isaiah talks about preparing the, the way. In repenting, and what does the word repenting mean? It means turn around. It means turn around. That's how we prepare the way of those things that aren't serving us, that aren't serving God. We just turn away from them. That time when you want to to unleash the fury. Maybe take a second thought about that, and maybe give compassion instead. I found this quote from um, his name is Albert Barnes. He wrote a commentary in 1851, and he's talking about this idea that Isaiah is talking about preparing the way, um, and he said. Um, this idea, this preparation, um, came from the practice of Eastern monarchs who, whenever they entered a journey or an expectation or an expedition, especially through a barren and unfrequented or inhospitable country, they sent harbingers or forerunners or heralds before them to prepare the way. To do this, it was necessary for them to provide supplies, sometimes to make bridges, or to find fording places across streams, to level hills, and to construct causeways over valleys, or sometimes even to fill up those valleys and to make a way through the forest which might lie in the path of their intended march. Those who went before to mark and improve the route were forerunners carpenters. They were the scouts, the pioneers, and the ones sent before, the, before a king to prepare the way. And that's kind of how I see this preparation. You know, even John the Baptist, who was the voice of one calling in the wilderness, yet he prepared the way for the Son of God. Each of us in our daily lives, interacts with family and co-workers and neighbors and others who might have little or nothing to do with God or God's word. Our words and deeds could well pave the way for any of them to answer God's call at another time. Maybe we are the harbingers. Maybe we are the forerunners. Maybe we are the ones to prepare the path. Maybe. Each of us has an opportunity to set an example that will affect the lives of those around us in a positive way. How do you like that new title, Forerunner for God, preparing the trail by how we conduct our lives and how we treat our neighbors? Every year, I kick off the Christmas season by going to the the singing Christmas tree in Portland. In some years, it's been at the Keller Auditorium, but other years, it's been in large churches. Well, a few years ago, it was at a church on the east side, and David and I were there, and we were kind of sitting up in the second balcony, and, you know, intent on watching the show, I heard a noise. And... I was distracted. and I didn't want to turn my head to see where the noise was because there was something going on on stage that I really wanted to see, but I heard the noise again and I looked over here and I saw this young man with down syndrome standing up and the noise that I heard was him clapping his hands and the look on his face was one of such joy. And expectation. You know, I've seen that singing Christmas tree many times since then. But the memory that I have, that I take from there, is of that young man noticing glory. Noticing glory. And I think that sometimes we forget to notice God's glory. We who are preparing the way forget to notice that God is there. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, God in us. Wow. We forget to take the joy in the moment. We forget in our busyness to look for good. To look for the joy. To look for the sacred. Because I think that those things lead us to the thing that we want most. And that's peace. Because peace can't come from external external things. Peace needs to come from my very being. No matter what storm is crashing around me. Peace needs to come for that. And the only way I can find peace is if I open my eyes. If I look, if I see, the good. Because there's plenty of things in the world that aren't. Addictions, homelessness, hopelessness, all of those things can take our attention. And we need to see them for granted. We need to see we cannot live in this little bubble that doesn't see what the world might have, what the world might be. But if we can see the joy, if we can see the love, if we can see the peace, if we can see the world as God sees the world, there's our peace. There is our peace. There is our peace. And then, my friends, we can put on our running shoes and be ready to be those forerunners, those harbingers, preparing the way for God and the world. Not with words of criticism. Not with words of judgment. But words of love and peace and compassion. Sharing what we have with those who have not. I know you know how to do that. I see it. I see it in you all the time. When we pray and when we praise and when we worship and when we work, we are transformed from those who simply wait to those who embody the truth of God's love for the world, of God's peace for the world, of God's joy for the world, of God's hope for the world. And we, in putting our minds to that, and in putting our countenance toward that place, we can surely sing the song that goes, Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. In a world that lives all the time in Advent and the waiting, we can lead the way to the finding. We can. It's not easy. The Christ child reminds us that God is with us. The Christ child also reminds us that we are the body of Christ. We're called, equipped, and empowered to be peace in the world and for the world. May that kind of peace be our Advent task. Peace be with you, my friends. Peace be you, my friends. And may you be peace to everyone you meet. Amen.